morning, family. I don't have to ask twice. Thank you. That is so uh, nice. Uh, <laughs> I got a good response the first time. Thank you, Jesus. Um, all right. Well, I'm Sean. Uh, I think most of you know me. Um, if you don't, I'm the associate pastor here at 116 Bible Church, and my heart is full this morning, getting to see God's people gather together in one place to worship and serve the one true and living God. That, that makes me happy. I must confess something to you this morning. Um, I have been struck uh, this week by a fresh realization of my inability and my unworthiness to the task to which I have been called this morning. Um, so I'm not relying on myself, and I pray that you are not coming to hear me expound and wax eloquent um, because you will be sorely disappointed. All I have. Um, in the words of Paul, is Christ is crucified. And I pray that God's people will be blessed by that message this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we will be continuing in the book of Romans. We'll be picking up in verse 15, where Brother Jack left off last week. And we will, by God's grace, get through... Uh, verses 7 through 13. I know Brother Jeff touched on verse 7 last week, um, but to be quite honest, that's where my section in this Bible starts. So <laughs> it would have driven me crazy if I had started somewhere else. Um, so verse 7, um, verses 7 through 13 of Romans chapter 15. If you are able, I ask that you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Again, Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 7. And the word of God says, Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written for this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name and again he says rejoice O Gentiles with his people and again praise the Lord all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, our good and gracious God, we have been blessed beyond blessed to read 
your very words. The words that you have provided to your people instead of leaving us by ourselves and to ourselves. You have chosen instead to reveal yourself to us through this word. And in this word you have drawn us to yourself by your spirit. Lord, forgive us for taking this so flippantly and casually and even neglectfully when instead we should be joyous and weeping with gratitude at the very thought that you, the creator and sustainer, would condescend to us, would come down to us, would grant us this opportunity, this blessing of communicating with us. This is a huge honor, and Lord, we pray that we would remember that, and that today, this morning, here and now, you would be made much of, you would be honored and glorified by the reading of your word. God, that your spirit would guide we, your people, into all truth and knowledge in Jesus Christ. And that we would come away from this time together in your word, in your spirit, holier and more loving and more gracious and more vigilant for your truth. Bless our time together this morning, Lord. Glorify yourself. Increase yourself and decrease me, my ego, my personality, so that you can get all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, let's start with a little review. And I'm not going to do my usual review, which is going all the way back to the beginning, to bring us all the way back to, the, to where we are today. Instead, I'm just going to do a short review over what we've covered over the past few weeks. If you recall, uh, chapters 1 through 11, uh, Paul was very concerned with uh, the church's right thinking, their orthopraxy. I'm sorry, orthodoxy. And then starting in verse 12, we see a transition into, I'm sorry, chapter 12, we see a transition into orthopraxy, into right living, right doing, how to behave correctly and obey the Lord in light of that which has been revealed and expounded upon in chapters 1 through 11. And Brother Jeff even so kindly um, and graciously um, pointed out not just the orthopraxy that Paul is talking about, but he's also trying to do orthopathos but right feeling, right emoting in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of that. And so 
that really brings us to um, the passage that, or really the section that we're in where we've been talking about um, the law of liberty, Christian liberty in the gospel and what that looks like and the differences in conscience between the stronger brother and the weaker brother in matters such as the eating of meat or the observance of holidays and how these are these are not issues to divide over, but instead these are issues to bear with one another through. So if there is a brother who abstains from the eating of meat before conscience' sake, the stronger brother doesn't condemn him, nor does the weaker brother condemn the stronger brother for eating meat. But instead, there is a, a persevering together in the truth for the sake of the gospel. And that brings us to the practice of the law of love, which is that enduring, that bearing with one another. And all the way through to the first six verses of chapter 15 that Brother Jeff covered last week about these um, this bearing with one another being tied to Christ. It's not bearing with one another Necessarily for the sake of one another, but for the sake of Christ. Because it's about Christ. The whole of the Christian existence is about Christ. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about doing for one another just to say we did for one another and to have that bragging right to the world. But it's for the sake of Christ, because without Christ as that foundation, these are just, as Brother Ivan mentioned earlier, empty, vain acts. To do unto one another without that Christ foundation isn't just vain, it's sin. Because it doesn't come from that place of true, genuine, godly love and for his glory. And anything not done for the glory of God is sin. So this bearing with one another is is tied to Christ. It's founded upon Christ. It comes from Christ and it goes to Christ. And that brings us to where we began today in verse 7 and where Brother Jeff ended last week. Um, therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, therefore, despite your differences of third-level theological issues, or even issues that have no salvific significance that do not affect your salvation one way or the other you receive one another you don't bar you don't excommunicate you don't dismember with a brother or sister in Christ simply over a difference of opinion friends that's not just stupid that's sin that is absolutely 100% sin to, to distance yourself from a brother or sister in Christ over food, over the observance of a holiday, 
because somebody observes Christmas and somebody else thinks that, well, Christmas is a pag has pagan roots, so therefore you shouldn't observe it. This is silly. This is not a reason to, to disconnect from one another. This is not a reason to break the unity of Christ in the body. These are reasons instead to bear with one another and to receive one another, understanding that my personal convictions are not your personal convictions. Maybe I abstain because to imbibe in any degree would lead to indulgence and would lead to, God forbid, drunkenness or would lead to abuse. And maybe you partake by the grace and the glory and the strength of God because you have a constitution gifted to you by God that can enjoy moderately, that can enjoy for the sake of God and to the glory of Christ without fear or worry or temptation of crossing that line into sin. So you should not be bound by my nor should I be bound by yours, but instead we should receive each other. Because if we can't receive each other despite these minor differences, what does that say to the world about the love of Jesus Christ? But that it is weak. But that it cannot endure. And far be it from us to blaspheme the name of Christ in such a way. Far be it from us to dishonor our God by telling the world that his love is less powerful than my own difference of opinion. Friends, that's sin. Family, that that's not honoring to God. That's dishonoring to our God and our Father, to our Lord and our Savior, to our to the Holy Spirit, our comforter. That's dishonoring. And far be it from God's people to do such a thing. And we should receive one another how? Just as Christ received us. And what separated us from Christ? It was a whole lot more than a difference of opinion. It was a whole lot more than a dispute over whether or not to eat meat or whether or not to observe a holy day. It was the vast chasm of sin. My sin. And your sin too. This vast chasm, this wide canyon this uncrossable ocean of sin that we couldn't wade halfway through. But instead, what did Christ come to do? He came to receive us into his family. How? As Brother Ivan so beautifully put it this morning, by his blood. And by his blood, he received us, not only despite our difference of opinion, but despite our difference of ontology. 
And by that I mean the great difference between his being and our being. And by his blood he received us. He brought us into the family of God. For what purpose? To the glory of God. So we receive one another regardless of our differences of opinion not salvific issues but we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ there is a time obviously to break communion with somebody who claims to be a brother but then begins to deny true biblical teaching such as sufficiency of Christ such as the reality of the Trinity such as these key doctrinal issues justification by faith alone and and all of these key core central issues that are so important to the very nature and word of the gospel yes there's time to break communion over those things when correction has become not just Unlikely, but has been attempted and become impossible. Yes, you break over such things, but over differences of opinion, we receive one another to the glory of God, just as Christ received us to the glory of God. And if God in Christ can receive us and forgive us over our genuine and grievous offenses, to his name and his character, surely his people can receive one another over a difference of opinion. Amen. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us for the glory of God. Please excuse me. Verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God. Pause. What does that mean? What Paul is saying here is that Jesus Christ came to the Jewish people, the people of Israel, the house of Judah, the those who practice circumcision for religious reasons. And he came as a servant to the circumcision. Meaning what? He came under the law. Under his law. The law that he spoke into existence. He came to serve under the law, to fulfill that law. Among the people to whom the law was given. So he came as a servant to the circumcision, not to be served. Brother Ivan, you gave me a lot of material today. Praise God for you. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came as a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God. Now what does that mean? For the truth of God. To show that this law that he wrote and he fulfilled 
is the very truth from the mouth of God. That it stands and it endures because it is God's word. So he came as a servant to the people the law was given in order to fulfill the law on their behalf. For the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Yours might say, your translation may say, the patriarchs, which I think is a little older word, but I prefer it. It um, really gets to gets to the idea of whom he's talking about when, when we're talking about the patriarchs. He's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promises given to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And what promises did he give, did he confirm to these individuals, if not a people that could not be numbered, if not a place to reside in that they would never have to leave. And so Jesus came as a servant to this people, to these descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in his serving these people, in his fulfilling of the law that they had been given, he confirmed not only the truth of God's word, but the promises given to these people. And these promises given to the household of Israel we see are not restricted to ethnic Israel. But instead, what do we see? We see in verse 9 and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So Jesus came as a servant to the circumcision. Not the circumcision party. Don't get the don't get mixed up with that. He's not talking about the those who were coming into churches and were saying that Jesus is great, but you also have to be circumcised and observe the law and all that. He's not not talking about that. He's talking about the the Jewish people. He came as a servant to the Jewish people to fulfill the law given to them in order to confirm the truth of God to confort. Uh, to confirm the promises made to the fathers and also so that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. For his mercy in what? For his mercy and his promises. The two are the two things are connected for the truth of God, the promises he made, and the mercy that he displayed his people, and not just his people, but all people. By these promises and by the truth of these promises. Because the truth of God and the promises that He made to the people of Israel, to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He didn't make necessarily to every physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He made to their spiritual descendants. He made to those who would be called by his name. As, uh, as it has, was said earlier in the New Testament, you boast because you are descended from Abraham. That's foolish. Because God could, from the very stones of the ground, raise up children of Abraham. So we see here not a 
promise that is exclusively or even primarily to a nation state of ethnic peoples, but instead to a spiritual family that he himself is the patriarch of. And, how, and why would the Gentiles glorify God for this mercy? Well, as it is written, for this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Now, who is Paul quoting here? It's not a pop quiz. You don't actually have to answer. It's fine. It's David. I'll just tell you. It's David. He's quoting David here. David has recorded in two places in the book of 2 Samuel and also in the book of Psalms. And we see here what David is saying. For this reason... I will confess to you among the Gentiles, or your translation may say, I will praise you among the Gentiles, or among the nations, and sing to your name. So what do we what do we see here? Pulled from two Old Testament texts, what do we see? If not evangelism. What do we see? We see David going out into the nations and praising God among them. We the the Jewish idea for much of the time of the Old Testament was we hold the light of God, therefore the brighter we shine, the more we will draw the nations to God through how we reflect his light. But what we see here is also a very clear evangelistic purpose of going out into the nations and glorifying God among them. Not simply a sit and wait type of evangelism, but what we see more explicitly in the New Testament and go and tell you. So this, this go into all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, is not new. On the contrary, it is very, very old. And it, is, it has been held, perhaps in sea form, in the Old Testament, where it finally blossomed and bloomed into full display in the New Testament from the mouth of our very own Savior. So we see here this go-and-tell style of evangelism, this, this going out into the nations in order and praising God is very intentional and is all, has been something that God has always had in his mind. He has always, though he has looked to the people of Israel, He's always had an eye on the nations, on the Gentiles, on those who do not descend physically, biologically from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, so David says, I go and I confess to you, I praise you among the nations, and I sing to your name. What's that? We just did it. It's worship. It's worship. I go out 
and I worship you, I glorify you, I honor you, I praise you. Not just at home where I feel safe, but I go out. I go out where it's dark. I go out where it's scary. I go out where I can't quite as evidently or plainly or clearly see you. God, but I go and I preach and I sing and I glorify you among the nations. And that's just the first step. He quotes three more passages from the Old Testament. The first step is what? I go and I praise you. Second step, verse 10. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, how? With his people. So though we see here a, a go and tell evangelism, we also see what? Inviting them in. We see God not just saying, go and worship me among the nations. We see God also saying, Gentiles, nations, those who don't know my name, rejoice with my people. We see here this, uh, this particular uh, quote being pulled from the book of Deuteronomy. That's those the words of Moses. And we see, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So we see a go and share. We see nations come and rejoice. And we move on to verse 11. And again, praise the Lord. All you Gentiles, laud him on your people. So we don't just see a we don't just see a going. We don't just see an inviting. We see what? In verse eleven, a commanding. So from going and sharing to inviting to come to commanding, this is your moral obligation. You are to come and worship me, to praise me, all you peoples of the earth. So we see here a very clear and a very intentional pattern. People of God going and telling, the nations being invited to come, and the nations not just being invited to come, the nations being commanded to worship me. By me, I obviously can. <laughs> to worship our Lord and God. To worship the one who in his mercy not just provided his word, not just provided the law, which in and of itself is very scary. The law by itself is very terrifying. Because the law by itself shows me a standard I can't reach. I can't attain to. The law by itself is perfection. And this is how it can be said, if you are guilty of one aspect of the law, you are guilty of the whole of the law. Why? Because when the standard is perfection, and you fail to meet at one time, you are therefore, then and forever, altogether imperfect. So when the standard is perfection, and I am very familiar with myself, and who I am, knowing that I am imperfect, what hope do I have? 
this law is crushing. But he didn't just give the law. He came and he fulfilled the law. And he did it not just for the people who then received the law. He did it for the nations. That's where his mercy lies. Is that it's not just to this one group. It's that this one group, yes, that they would shine shine and reflect his light so brightly and so brilliantly that the nations would see and want to come, but that they would go and praise him among the nations, carrying with them their reflection of his light. And as they reflect his light among the nations, then the nations are not just invited, but commanded to come and worship him. This is his mercy. Because he didn't restrict it to this landlocked people group. He instead expanded it to every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him. Laud is just another word for praise. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says in verse 12, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles will hope. So we see here, Paul is very clearly, he is tying what has come before, what he's written about before, to another truth that is just as important. He's saying weaker brothers, strong brothers, bear with one another, endure with one another, bear one another's burdens. But not just that. Jews, Gentiles, Receive one another and do so to the glory of God. Why? Because the promises aren't just for you. And what did he talk about a few chapters previous to this? The promises aren't just for the household of Israel. The promises aren't just for you Gentiles who may be getting arrogant thinking that branches of the household of Israel were removed to make room for me. He's saying, no, you both, if you belong to Christ, if you are called by his name, you both receive each other just as you have been received by Christ. Because whether your background is steeped in the Torah and the law and the prophets and the writings, or whether your background is steeped in paganism, in false religion, and in idol worship. You are now a new creation. You are called by a new name. And you are mine. And we see here from each of these references to Old Testament scripture, we see a reference to Deuteronomy, the law, 
we see a reference to Isaiah, the prophets. We see a reference to the Psalms, the writings. And we even see a reference to 2 Samuel. That's a subcategory of the writings of the historical books. So what is Paul doing by drawing from all of these portions and sections and categories of Old Testament scripture except to say the whole of the Old Testament declares the truthfulness and the making ready of bringing together from many people one people from Jew and from Gentile from slave and from free from male and from female he is bringing together one people from all peoples so that when the final day does come what will we see if not what has been prophesied but standing around the throne worshipping the risen lamb one people one people from every tribe from every tongue, from every nation, from every people. This can be promised because he has declared it. He has decreed it. It is sure. This is the truth. His promise. And this root of Jesse, this root of, this root of Jesse, rises up to reign over not just the household of Israel from which Jesse hails but it says to reign over the Gentiles that's not Jesse's people but God has decreed that there are those among the Gentiles who will be his people so he will so he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles and in him the Gentiles shall hope this this Messiah this messianic figure who's coming from the root of Jesse who is rising up from among the people of Israel is coming to rule and to reign over the nations and he is our hope As far as I know, I don't have any any connections to the biological connections to the house of Israel. But that doesn't matter. Because he is still my hope. He is still, and if you are called by his name, he is still your hope. And this hope we see comes from God himself. In verse 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So this hope of the Gentiles isn't found in the Gentiles. It's not even found in Israel. It's found in God. It comes from God. It flows from God to his people whoever they are, 
wherever they might be found, whether that is in time or in geography. It doesn't matter. Because the God of hope provides your hope. And it is the God of hope who fulfills that hope. And he fills you with all joy and peace and we believe in. I just want you to close your eyes. Lean back if you can. And just breathe that in. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. May your in this hope of the Gentiles, which comes from the God of hope, fill you with joy and peace. It's been said before, I'm not going to belabor the point, that joy is everlasting. The difference between happiness and joy, happiness is temporary, joy is everlasting. He's not saying, be filled with happiness. Be filled with momentary contentment. He's saying, be filled with eternal and everlasting joy and peace. And what do we know of peace in the Bible? We know that to those who love God and are called according to his purposes are given a peace that passes understanding and comprehension. So he's saying, may this God of hope, who himself is your hope, provides your hope, gives you hope, may that hope that he gives you, that he provides you, that hope that you have faith in, may it fill you with his joy and with his peace in your faith, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wait a second. Four, he said, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So in verse 4, he says, Hope comes from the scriptures. In verse 13, he says, It comes from the Spirit. Which is Pardon the very antiquated pun here or joke here, but the answer is yes. The answer is yes. The hope comes from the scriptures. Why? Because it is in them that we see these promises of God that we've been talking about. And that hope found in the scriptures is applied to God's people by God's Spirit. So we see here the Spirit working in conjunction with the Word of God in order to provide His people boundless hope that flows from His everlasting joy and His peace that passes understanding. So let me encourage you place and as you go out 
in a very real way among the nations. Let me encourage you to keep your eyes focused on the hope of Gentiles. The hope of the Gentiles that has been given to you as a non-ethnic Israelite who has been granted the promises to Israel in Jesus Christ. So keep your eyes on the hope of the Gentiles and may that, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This verse 13 is what's um, more anciently referred to as a wish prayer uh, more um, more recently and more uh, traditionally in, in our what we would understand it as a benediction it's a good word which is actually which is spoken to a people but is in a very real way a prayer prayed to God on behalf of those people so I would like to end this particular meeting today with by speaking this benediction over you. So if you will put your hands out to receive it, I'll put my hands up to, to give it. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, we Lord, we are so comforted by your mercy and the truth of your promises. Lord, that we saw you fulfilled in the scriptures and the person and work of Jesus Christ when he came to the people of Israel. But when he came to the people of Israel, he came for the nations. So, Lord, we worship you. Lord, you did not forget us. You did not neglect us. But, Lord, instead you called us. And, God, may we, may we look to you for our hope. May we, may we not pursue the things of this world hoping to find hope in them but instead may we remember your promises and your fulfillment of your promises and the truth that those promises belong to those in Christ in whose name we pray Amen